I think this morning is one of those mornings when you can probably say, well, let's close the service. I think we've, sure. When I was growing up, I remember seeing a advert on TV, and it's never left me. It's called the KFC moment. School kids come back from holiday, and they are standing up and telling what they did, and everyone's so excited what they did, where they went, and the little girl gets up and she said, we had KFC. And the next one jumps up and starts, we did it, she says, and sits down again. So that's how I feel. Um, <laughs> anyway, really it's a privilege to be up here this morning, and there's so many more of you than I thought there were when I used to sit over there. And um, yeah. Just a couple of months ago, I was joking in our life group that I know there's one thing I never have to do in the church, and that's stand up front and preach. And um, <laughs> a few weeks later, Matt surprised me. Um, anyway, I'm not going to make jokes all morning. But I will just start by saying that I have quite a few favorite Bible stories, and one of them is found in Numbers 22. And any of our scholars know what's in Numbers 22? Balaam and the donkey. If God can speak through a donkey, I'm sure he can use me and my good wife. <laughs> it's the only time in our lives that we are allowed to be an ass for, for God. Yeah, Make an ass of ourselves. Anyway, so we're going to unpack Psalm 73. And it's, I can't help but think we were sitting here enjoying this, this glorious time of worship and hearing the encouragement and think. Uh, Psalm 73 is a bit of a downer on this. Um, how are we going to unpack this one for you guys this morning? But if you can, if you've got your app or your Bible with you, it's one of the Psalms that's not written by David, written by a guy called Asaph. But he's got the same kind of heart as David, so we are going to go through it. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Truly God is good to Israel, to those whose hearts are pure. But as for me, I almost lost my footing. My feet were slipping and I was almost gone. For I envied the proud when I saw them prosper despite their wickedness. They seem to live such painless lives. And their bodies are so healthy and strong. They don't have troubles like other people. They're not plagued with problems like everyone else. They wear pride like a jeweled necklace clothe themselves with cruelty. These fat cats have everything their hearts could ever wish for. They scoff and speak only evil. In their pride they seek to crush others. They boast against the very heavens and their words strut throughout the earth. And so the people are dismayed and confused, drinking in all their words. What does God know, they ask? Does the Most High even know what's happening? Look at these wicked people enjoying a life of ease while their riches multiply. Did I keep my heart pure for nothing? Did I keep myself innocent for no reason? I get nothing but trouble all day long. Every morning brings me pain. If I had really spoken this way to others, I would have been a traitor to your people. So I try to understand why the wicked prosper, but what a difficult task it is. Then I went into your sanctuary, O God, and finally understood the destiny of the wicked. Truly, you put them on a slippery path and send them sliding over the cliff to destruction. In an instant, they are destroyed.
completely swept away by terrors. When you arise, O Lord, you will laugh at their silly ideas as a person laughs at dreams in the morning. Then I realized that my heart was bitter and I was all torn up inside. I was so foolish and ignorant. I must have seemed like a senseless animal to you. Yet I still belong to you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, leading me to a glorious destiny. Whom have I in heaven but you? I desire you more than anything on earth. My health may fail, my spirit may grow weak, but God remains the strength of my heart. He is mine forever. Those who desert him will perish, for you destroy those who abandon you. But as for me, how good it is to be near God. I have made the Sovereign Lord my shelter, and I will tell everyone about the wonderful things you do. Good morning. Um, 2 Timothy chapter 3, we read that all scripture is God-breathed. Uh, what does that mean? That means that God's breath, his life, his spirit is in everything that we read in this precious book. Everything. Um, and then he goes on to say, it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Today, I want you to take that for yourself. Not for anyone that you're ministering to, not for your life group, not for your husband or wife, not for anyone else, I want you to realize that the scripture we're going to go through this morning is for you, for you personally. Um, so, guess what we find in God's word? We find an encouragement to deal with our emotions. Um, we've been talking about this for a few weeks now. Um, and in Psalm 73... There's a rather unhealthy one that this guy talks about. So in verse 1, the psalmist says, Truly God is good to Israel, to those whose hearts are pure. The psalmist affirms for us that God is good, and we know God is good. But then he qualifies it and he says, uh, To the pure, those hearts that are pure. Now if we remember, this is now before Jesus has come, before Jesus has died. Um, so this guy did not know that the goodness of God stretches through Jesus, through his dying on the cross, to sinful and impure people as well. Isn't that wonderful? Okay, but this in this psalm, the psalmist, I felt, was saying to us, it's worth it to put effort into pursuing purity and holiness and intimacy with God. That's what I feel he was saying. He's not focusing on the fact that, you know, only the pure will get to heaven or anything like that. He's wanting to tell us that it's worth the effort to get to, to God, to the intimacy that we need with God. Um, then he goes on to tell us why he encouraged us to do this. In verse 2 comes the real story. As for me, I almost lost my footing. My feet were slipping and I was almost gone. The psalmist starts telling us about himself. 
how he almost failed to experience the goodness of God because of his feelings of envy, okay? He was envious and jealous. Um, and then he goes on to admit his feelings to us. Verse 3, for I envied the proud when I saw them prosper despite their wickedness. They seem to live such painless lives. Nothing, nothing ever goes wrong in their lives. He then, he, so he openly and honestly confesses his envy to us, and he goes on to explain how easy it is to envy the wicked. He clearly explains his perspective and almost tries to justify himself. I'm sure we can all identify with this. Hey? We, <laughs> there's many times we get envious of things. Um, but that's not the point. The point is, what do we do with this feeling? Okay, what do we do? I think most of us bury it. It gets buried, it goes underground until the next time it raises its head and something comes up and there it is again. So what we're trying to do is say, be encouraged. We actually need to deal with this. Um, in verse 12, he goes on to say, He's now, sorry, the first section he was actually addressing us. We, we all listening to him telling his story. Now on verse 12, he goes on to address God. And listen what he says to God. Look at these wicked people enjoying a life of ease while their riches multiply. He addresses God and tells him to look. Look at them. And he complains. And I mean this he's saying to God. Um, verse 13 to 16, he says, Did I keep my heart pure for nothing? Did I keep myself innocent for no reason? So from his perspective, which was actually a worldly perspective, he compares himself and what he gets when he tries to live a pure and holy life. Trouble and pain. And this seems so unfair to him. The next thing he says is, if I had really spoken this way to others, I would have been a traitor to your people. Now this I want to credit him with. He's very clever. He didn't go to his family or his friends and mention what he was thinking. He didn't go and teach them to do the same as he did. He actually said, um, if I'd gone and told them, I would have been a traitor. I would have been teaching them the wrong thing. So that means to me, that in his conscience, he knew that something was wrong with what he was feeling. He knew enough about God, and he'd been taught in the scriptures to know that something was not right. So then what did he do? He first tried to understand why the wicked prosper. But he says, but what a difficult task this is. How do you understand why the wicked prosper? How the heck? So what does he do then? He goes to God again. It says here, verse 17, Then I went into your sanctuary, O God, and I finally understood the destiny of the wicked. So what did he do? He went and got godly counsel. He might have gone straight to God. He might have gone to a godly person. But he got counsel, and he found out where the wicked would end up. Now, what is that? That is a, such a change from your worldly perspective to a godly perspective. 
Where are these people who have no pain and are enjoying life, where are they going to end up? That's actually the more important point. So God has moved him away from his worldly perspective and given him a biblical perspective. In verse 21, he says, Then I realized that my heart was bitter and I was all torn up inside. So then he, after seeing clearly, after God's taken these things off his eyes, he realizes that not only is he envious, now his heart is sitting there with bitterness. Um, and he's torn, he says he's torn apart inside. And he admits to God he was foolish and ignorant. So, what we, I think he does is he admits this to God, he confesses it, and he receives healing. Because the next verse, verse 23, says, Yet I still belong to you. You hold my right hand. He recognizes after going through all of this and confessing and getting this stuff out that he still belongs to God. God still loves him. God's still holding him. And what else? The thing is that that connection, if, if I look at the very first verse, it was a very general statement about God. And now, at verse 23 and after, you see it's a very personal, personal thing that he talks to God about. So he's restored that intimate connection with God through getting rid of stuff that he was thinking um, and his feelings. So, I just thought that this was brilliant. We didn't read um, the message version or the passion version of this one. If you want to laugh, go and do that. I sat on Friday and Derek and I read through that and we thought, oh, no, we can't read that version. Mick will have a fit. <laughs> so, we chose the other version. But do yourself a favor when you want to laugh, go read the message or the passion version of Psalm 23. Um, okay, so um, <laughs> we have to deal with our emotions. That's what we've been talking about. And I just found it so great to find a psalm which actually goes through the process of dealing with an emotion. And that's a nasty emotion. If you act on that and if you do something about that, that's when that leads you into sin. So... It was very good to read that. Um, it's good. First of all, the small things we can just go to God with. Easy. And I'm sure he will give us that answer that we need and how to deal with it. But sometimes there's a repetitive problem. And this thing keeps coming up and coming up. Then you go to a godly person, a mentor, a counselor, and you go and speak to them about it. Um, there's, there's special um, grace in that because... You know, if we are accountable to a human person, that, that person, that mentor, a counselor, if they are good, they are concerned about your whole person. And they will check in on you. If you share something with them, they will check in on you. How are you doing? You can say, oh, well, I just take everything to God. But if it's a difficult problem, are you, are you going to hear God saying, you know, what are you doing about this? You might not get any further because you are just still sitting on it. You can easily hide that away from God. But if you've confessed it to someone, someone knows about it, they can come and help you. And let's face it, there are some things that we need help with. We can't get over on our own. 
Um, anyway, so out of that psalm, I got a recipe. It said, what do we do first? We identify our feeling. Secondly, we explore our, the cause, and that's hysterical, the whole list of why he's upset with the world. You identify any further feelings or incorrect behavior. You get a godly perspective. You repent if you have to, and you be accountable to someone if you have to. And then your relationship is restored. So, let's go on to the end of last week. We had some homework to do. Does anyone remember what it was? Well done, well done. <laughs> Are you, ha you know, you must, you must sit, yes, you must sit and, and look at your feelings. When were you last happy? When were you last sad? When were you last angry? Why were those things happening in your life this last week? If you haven't done it, please go and do it this week. You've still got a, a chance to do it this week. Okay? But seriously, we need to do this work for ourselves. I will tell you why. I've got two very good reasons why it's important for us to get in touch with our emotions. Um, the course that we're doing, the Emotional Healthy Spirituality, it's a big word, EHS, um, seems to be dealing with uh, growing our emotional intelligence. And some of you might ask, what the heck is emotional intelligence? Okay, in a nutshell, you, you learn to get in touch with your feelings and how to manage them well. That's the one thing. If you are emotionally intelligent, you can get in touch with your feelings and you manage them well. Also, you understand other people's feelings and you manage their feelings well. That is what an emotionally intelligent person does. Now, um, if I look back at Derek and our lives, sure, we didn't get that from our parents. We weren't taught that, unfortunately. Uh, I'll talk about that a little bit later. So the first reason I want to give you is we call ourselves Liberty Family Church, okay? And to me, that advertises healthy, godly families. And we are an awesome church. Many people coming into our community share how they feel God's love. It's so evident. They feel very welcomed. They feel part of this community. The community experience is amazing. But I want to challenge us that we don't become proud and assume that in all areas we're doing well. I think we need to sometimes look a little bit deeper. The smallest, un smallest unit in the church is the family. Okay? And to be honest, no one knows except God what goes on behind the walls in your home. No one knows except God. Um, we tend to relax there, and we can relax there. But sometimes that's when our emotions come out, because it's our family. We can do what we like. But that's not God-honoring, okay? So we need to look at that. We need to look at our family life and relationship. If Satan can come in and break down families, he will succeed in breaking the church. It's a warning for us. As members of Liberty Family Church, we need to guard our family life. Ensure that our families are functioning well. So when we are asked to look at certain facets, we must stay humble and do that. Don't assume that we have got it all right. 
we want to maintain a healthy Liberty Family Church. Um, we want, to, we want to make sure that Jesus is shining out of our families, whether people can see what's happening in our, in our homes or whether it's not. Um, and I'll tell you why. Because we usually, most of us, have little kids growing up in our homes. They need to see Jesus. Okay. The second one is... Um, comes from a, a program that Derek and I are involved in, um, where we're teaching men and women what healthy couple and family relationships look like from God's perspective. So it helps us recognize when our family is living from a worldly perspective, because believe it or not, the world influences what we do, and we don't realize it sometimes, and it creeps into our family life, into our, our value system, and suddenly something has gone off off the track. So we need to keep that, um, we need to keep that in our minds. Um, one of the areas addresses, that we address in the teachings is that we need to teach our children to develop emotional intelligence right from the age of 12. Now if we as adults don't know what emotional intelligence is, how are we going to teach our children? So that's why I am excited about what we're doing, this EHS course, because we as adults need to make a check. Are we, are we displaying emotional intelligence to our children? Do we know how to teach them that? Um, one of the helpful tools that, that we, we have learned to use, and we're not using it too well, but we need to use it very well, um, is looking at our communication in our family. Um, in the course we teach, there are five levels of communication, okay? Number one is chit-chat. How are you? I'm fine. How are you? I'm good. That's chit-chat. That's level one. Level two is um, you giving the facts. Okay, so how did you do in your exam? Oh, it was fine. I just couldn't answer two questions, but the rest was all good. And that's where it ends. That's giving the facts. That's level two. Level three is giving opinions or solutions. We love to do this. Someone shares a problem and we respond with an idea or a solution. Or we even say, oh yes, but you know, I, I remember that we did that in, and we give a, a story about where this happened to us. Okay, so that is level three. It's giving suggestions and solutions. And those first three are just surface communication actually. It's just surface level. We need to get to four and five, which are a bit more harder. So the healthy couple and family gets to level four and five. Level four is the level of the feelings. This is why it's coming. The level of the feeling is when you listen and understand what a situation has done to the emotions of the person you're listening to. You stay with the person, and you explore how they are feeling. You do not give answers or opinions or solutions. You just stay with them, identify where they are, what they are feeling. So that is called level four. We, we usually call it staying in the room of the feeling with the person that you are dealing with. Level five is total transparency, where nothing is hidden, where you actually tell each other everything that's going on. 
you listen, you share, you listen, you share, and you work together. Usually it ends in working together and finding a solution and healing. Um, that, those two levels, four and five, are difficult for people who are not emotionally intelligent. It's very, very hard. We don't know how to share our feelings. And um, they tell us, the psychologists tell us, I'm going to defer to them, that women are better at identifying their feelings than men. Men find it more difficult. I don't know why that is, but I think maybe that's a generalization. There are some men who do find it easy because they've learned. They have become emotionally wise. Emotional intelligence has grown. So um, that is something that I think, but even as, as a mom, if I look back at my childhood, I didn't learn that from my mom. I didn't, or my dad, I didn't learn that. So not everyone is emotionally intelligent. Um, so again, if we don't communicate on this level four and five, we're not teaching our children anything. We're not teaching them how to express their feeling, that their feelings are important, that they need to be able to express it. So that's another reason why we need to actually pay attention to the EHS course, because we are going to be learning things or strengthening things that our children need. Um, not only our children, those people you're discipling, people you're mentoring, they also need that. So it actually covers all of us. It covers all of us. Um, now I just want to say one thing, you can't blame your parents. <laughs> okay, so Derek and I were both brought up in, in a families where we didn't know this. And that perpetuates down to our children. Our children haven't been taught emotional intelligence. They've now got to find it out themselves with a little bit of help. Um, but that is not the point. The point is that's how our, our parents are brought up. We can't blame them. We've got responsibility for our families, and we need to correct it now. How beautiful to start a whole new line, family line, of emotionally intelligent people. That is what we're aiming for. Um, yeah, I'm going to hand over to Derek. I'm having more than one KFC moment today. <laughs> Thank you, Michelle. Sure. Um, I was challenged on numerous levels when preparing this, this for today. Um, and one, thankfully, wasn't a, a marital issue uh, because of having to work with Michelle in preparing a talk. Um, simply because we did it separately. Um, <laughs> and she wanted to know what I was going to say because she was not going to stand up here if she didn't know what was going to come out of my mouth. Um, and it's difficult as the walls fall down around us, but I'm, I like to think I'm a spontaneous person. Um, so for me to sit down and prepare a talk, prepare a, anything long in advance is actually a huge mission. Um, and I'd much rather to stand up and talk off the cuff. And in many ways that, that approach bothered me. And sometimes I'd feel guilty. I would feel I'm not pulling my weight. I would feel like a fraud because I haven't done the hours in terms of what I perceive other people to do when they prepare for something important like this. Um, not saying this isn't important, but it is. But I struggled with it. 
I don't really talk to people about it, um, but I used to feel this, this condemnation in terms of, I suppose that's the right word, um, in not actually giving the amount of effort that something needed. And then our good friend Matt here spoke last week and he said, hey, get to spend some time and think about your feelings and when last were you feeling this and that. And I actually spent some time doing it. Thank you, Matt. Um, and this is one of the things I thought about. I said, well, why, so why am I feeling like guilt? And um, I got an answer um, that I shouldn't feel guilty. So I don't. But uh, <laughs> I was given the, the revelation, I believe, that the Lord said to me, well, I made you as you are. You don't have to be someone else. You don't have to be like Matt. You don't have to be like Glenn, Michiel, Mick. You don't have to be as good as they all are. Um, but you are unique. And I will, you know, I come back to the donkey story. God can use us as we are. He's made us uniquely. But enough about that. I just want to, to add a bit of icing to the cake that Michelle has, has baked for us here, and she did it very well. Um, we are talking about emotions, we're talking about feelings, and I was going to talk to the men, because I think we are so good at it. We are, we've become masters of dealing with our feelings and emotions that no one knows what's going on most of the time. Um, and it's not that we don't, we, not, we don't have emotions, we do, we are very good at expressing those emotions, quite often in the wrong way. Um, and we don't get, yeah, we don't get down to the, the root cause of it. But while I was giving some thought to this talk, I was reminded of an incident in my life, um, I can say decades ago, I was 12 or 13 years old, and I was invited to a party, a friend of mine's parents were having a New Year's Eve party, and he said, you can come, but you've got to bring a girlfriend, a partner. I thought, Tish. yeah. And the sudden pressure on me to find a, ask a girl to go to a party with me, it was, tish, I was, I was petrified. I was actually traumatized by the thing. And the more I thought about it from my age now, I think I was. Because I had absolutely no idea what to do, how to ask, how to go about it. No one had told me, other than my, some of my, my schoolmates who seemed to have it all together and they had plenty of girlfriends, um, but I had no idea how to go about this and I, I struggled with it and I didn't find anyone that, I, I couldn't speak to my folks about it. The people who I thought I could talk to, they all, I was too embarrassed to actually expose my, my inadequacies, my weakness, my, my what did I call it, um, anyway. I thought, I, I thought I'd fail, I was a failure completely in that whole area. And um, needless to say, I, I didn't get to ask a girl to go with me. I took the easy way out, I wrote a letter and I walked around the corner and put it in the letterbox and I never got an answer. Um, and um, I was probably relieved that I didn't get an answer, but anyway. But that feeling of inferiority and that feeling of, of, of failure and, and, and whatever the, the emotions that went through me, they stayed with me for years, and I didn't realize it, but I was, yeah, I was not, um, I lacked self-confidence, I lacked, I, 
if someone in our classroom mentioned something wrong, I was like the tomato in the room. Everyone thought I was the naughty culprit. I was just, just so self-conscious and so embarrassed. And, um, and I think it was, I'm not trying to say that's the only cause, but it certainly was a traumatic experience for me. Thankfully, God works in, in strange ways because I did eventually get a girlfriend. And, and today is a special day in my life anyway, because today is... The anniversary, 46 years ago, Michelle and I started dating. It was... <laughs> it took us eight years to get married, but we were... Because she was only 13. <laughs> anyway. Um, but yeah. When I was growing up, and some of the older gentlemen around here, the whole the adage of cowboys don't cry. That's how we describe the men. Men didn't cry, you went to the army, you got more traumatized, you didn't cry about it, you know, you came back even with less feelings than you went in with, <laughs> and, you know, life went on. You got married and you were supposed to be emotionally intelligent, but we weren't. Um, oh, sorry, I wasn't. Um, but as we look around us in the church today, and even this morning in the worship service, uh, the worship time, men have got better at being emotional. It's not uncommon to see some of us the tears rolling down our face you know, in, a, um, in a worship context. Um, the Holy Spirit moves on us, the Holy Spirit speaks to us, and we are impacted and we do show an emotion. But I think we are far better, I'm, I'm, I'm generalizing with the men because I feel more confident talking about us. But anyway, um, the, we are far better at expressing our emotions. And the one emotion that I think we're all guilty of, and some of the ladies as well, but I won't even attempt to talk for them, is the one of anger. And I want to read from Ephesians 4, chapter 29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every other form of malice. And if we're honest, and I like to think we are in a good category of, of honest people, yeah? If we're honest with ourselves, we, anger is an issue for a lot of us. We've all got buttons. We've got buttons that people press, whether it's a taxi driver or it's our spouse or a friend or a boss, we've got buttons that give rise to an emotion and that emotion gets expressed as men do in a form of outburst or an anger or angry word. And, and I was taught a very a hard lesson um, when I was a young dad and I asked Adrian's permission to share it. But I remember when they were, the kids were growing up and Adrian was about 11 or 12, and I remember, you know, I was hours at the church, I was a worship leader, I was up in the front, had it all together, life group leader, good Christian role model for the young men, and we get home after church on a Sunday morning, and everyone's in the car, yes, we've had a lovely day at the church, and uh, someone says something, and Mickey uh, goes off the handle, and Adrian, with his quick tongue, turns around and says, yeah, great lot of help it was going to church. And I think that happens 
in more than just our family, or our, it did happen. And it's not excusable, it's not, it's not justifiable. And I think as, as men, ladies don't think I'm just bashing the men here, but I think it's also pushing some of your buttons. We are guilty of maybe being in a bit of denial, saying, well, uh, that was justified. I, I, I was, it was a justifiable anger. I, I, that person shouldn't have done that, whatever. But that's not really the... How we, how we respond and how we react to that emotion is not justifiable if it's in an ungodly fashion. And, um, yeah. But none of us is perfect. We know that. And thankfully Jesus came. He died for us for those very reasons that we don't have to stay as we are, but that there is healing. And we can actually... You know, I've heard, I can hear myself saying it now. That's how I am. That's who I am. That's how I was made. So just live with it. That's not good enough. Okay? We weren't made like that, to be quite honest. We became like that because of how we were shaped going through life with the traumas that we dealt with and girlfriends that stood us up and things like that. So we became what we are, but we don't have to stay like that. Okay? Um, and yes... We men do find it more difficult to talk about things. To get to level four and five communication, flip, it sounds like hard work. And, um, and I must just compliment Michelle because we haven't, we haven't got it all together. We haven't got it down pat. Um, doing these courses that you spoke about has actually been a great help. And the other day, I went off the handle about something and, um, and she didn't respond. I thought, oh, well. I got away that one. It was easy. Yeah. So I felt okay. We all, you know, it wasn't that bad as what I thought it was. And about an hour later, Michelle came up to me and she said, Can we talk about what just happened a few minutes ago? It wasn't easy and wasn't comfortable and it actually wasn't very pleasant because, but it was so helpful because she had. She didn't call me out in the heat of a moment. She called, she exhibited emotional intelligence, baby, uh, by, by um, processing it a bit, and later raised the issue. And, yeah, the reason why I'm saying it, I think that's just, it's just getting away from making excuses for ourselves or flying off the handle when we don't actually have that excuse. We actually, we have a responsibility, we have choices to make. Um, Anyway, I'm actually cutting a lot out of my talk because Michelle said a lot of things I didn't know she was going to say um, because we didn't workshop the talks together. But anyway, um, but yeah, so where to from here? Our behaviors, as I said, are not, are not um, they haven't just happened, they, they're a result of an emotion. And very often for us, it's because of what has happened years ago, which are things which we buried emotions or, or experiences that we've actually put underground and and again men i think we when i when when this course was introduced this ehs you know a thought went through my mind and i thought yeah we guys are very good at this at paying lip service to to some things but i i must be honest and say i had a question in my mind saying how many of us men are actually going to take this seriously how many of us are going to treat it as another course another content we can just go through the motions tick the boxes 
or are we actually going to put some work into it? Are we going to spend a bit of time in seeing what can God do with this material in our lives? Or do we have it all together in such a way that we don't need help? You know, do we have an arrogance about us or a, are we humble? Do we have a teachable spirit? Or are we only able to teach others by what they see outside our house? Because if they lived inside our house, they wouldn't want to be taught by us, most likely. Um, but yeah, I'm going to land this thing, as Matt would say. But I do want to, to encourage you to, to take the opportunity to look at our, our inner workings, to look at what behaviors we find, and we know what they are, what behaviors are we exhibiting that are unacceptable, that are ungodly? Um, because those are the behaviors that are pointing to an emotion that, that actually needs to be dealt with. The emotion isn't bad. It's great to feel the emotions. But what, what lies beneath that emotion? Uh, if it's a bad behavior, there's something in there that actually needs to be, needs to be fixed. And yes, we heard earlier this morning, Jesus bringing those, our concerns, our, our, our issues to the Lord is our first port of call. But sometimes it is necessary to, to speak to someone about it. Um, I had a whole thing here about role models and that, which I was going to talk about. But I, uh, you know, our role model as, as parents and as, not even as parents, as, as adults in a, in a church family, there are young guys, there are teenagers there that are coming up, young men and women, who are looking to us as role models. And if we can model godly behavior and godly principles and call them out on, on behavior and things and, and help them to form their own their identities and, as they're growing up into to young adults, it's just going to add so much value to this, this body of Christ. Um, so, yeah. Jesus can do it all. He can heal us instantly. There are examples of that around us here this morning. People who've met the Lord and their lives have been turned upside down and He's healed them. But for a lot of us, if we present ourselves in humility and with a teachable spirit, He'll help us through the working of the body around us. Um, and that's what we're here for. Not just to contribute in a worship service, but to contribute in doing life. Um, and at the end of the day, what was I going to say there? Sure. At the end of the day, how we live our life and what our homes look like will, will tell the difference. Do we, I have a question, do we live in Christian homes or do we have homes where Christians live? If we have homes where Christians live, we know different to the Muslims that live next door or the non-believers that live on the other side. But if we have Christian homes, there will be something different in our homes. It will be how we live out our relationships in the home, how we live out our, our family values, um, and not just uh, putting the tag on the door that we are Christians. Um, you're coming into a Christian house. Um, and I'm going to land it there for Mick. And thank you very much. And re next week, 
we need to know how your feelings are doing and what emotions you've been through. And if anyone's been traumatized by this talk, please go and talk to me or Michelle afterwards. Um, but on a serious note, if you do, if you do have things that you want to talk talk through, it's not about getting. Yeah, it's on level four and five, so there's no opinions and judgment and things like that given. It's just someone to talk to and actually and to seek God's God's wisdom on the issues. We are open to that. Amen. Okay. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father God, we thank you that you are the author of life. We thank you that you have, yeah, you have designed each one of us uniquely, Lord. You've placed your spirit within us. You are the leader who leads us to all truth. Holy Spirit, we just invite you to to continue to work in our hearts, to continue to work in our minds. Lord, that you would churn up things in us that, that we might have buried long ago, that you would bring to the surface things that that you want to deal with, Lord, that, that you want the yeah, that you want the the, the um the muck to rise to the surface that can be can be swept over, swept off. That we would be clear and clean and be your vessels, Lord. So I ask Holy Spirit that you would uh, that you would continue to work in us, that you would be with us this week as we go from this place, that you would continue to do a work in our lives, that we would yeah, that we would be inspired, Lord, to, to, to seek you out in all things. We pray this in Jesus' name, Lord. Amen. Amen.